Hey cuties, welcome to Cup of Joy the podcast, created to jumpstart your joy, supersize your soul, and provide a sweet space for your own personal growth. I'm your host, Heidi B, certified food and body coach, life coach, personal trainer, and owner of Joyfully B, where I'm obsessed with helping people win the food and body battle and reclaim their joy. I'll share with you stories of people who have shifted their junk to joy and struggles into celebrations to live a life that they love. Each episode is guaranteed to light and lift you up. Because on this show, we'll talk truth about topics that block us from living our best life, how to make your body your bestie, and tons of tasty tidbits to make your own cup of joy overflow. Believe it or not, I once lost my joy, but now it's back, and I'm here to help you find yours on the daily. As my mama bee always says, it's time to put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Ready to start? Let's jam. All right. Welcome everybody to Cup of Joy, the podcast. Today I have a really beautiful guest today. Her name is Melody Chuang and she is a body image coach. And today we are going to chat on the topic of being addicted to struggle. Hey Melody, how are you doing? Hey Heidi, I'm doing well. Oh, so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. This is a topic that I know is so near and dear to your heart, and I know that so many people are going to resonate with this story. So first of all, I just want to ask you point blank, kind of in general, what does it even mean to be addicted to struggle? What does that mean? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. We see this, at least I see it on Instagram all the time, being addicted to the struggle. But what I've learned is it's really just about being addicted to what is familiar to us. Mm. And for most of us, that is just struggling or just negativity. Um, And you can even think of struggling not so much on a very, like, deep, deep term, not in a very deep way, but just like even a light layer of struggle. So just kind of always being a bit cynical, being a bit always wondering, you know, what's the next bad thing that's going to happen. Yeah, I know that you, um, uh, some of the other words that we've used are kind of feeling that victim mentality, always feeling like something bad's going to happen, or we always, we turned to the worry first, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen instead of assuming that the best thing's going to happen. It's just being on that default zone and associating with um, that resistance level instead of the ease and flow of what could come to you in the lightness. Is that fair? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know that we were talking a little bit earlier, and you brought up such a great point that, you know, the hard worker mindset of you were always taught to be, um, quote-unquote, be a hard worker, work hard, and that in itself being described is like resistance. Okay, I have to grind. I have to work hard. It has to be a struggle. And if it's not a struggle at work and I don't have to fight, fight, push, 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 then I'm not doing good enough. Exactly. That is exactly how I felt. It It's almost as if, you know, if even if we're going to just bring it back to school, if you're exceeding at a subject and it comes so easy to you, you don't think that you're doing enough because you're taught You know, you have to be a hard worker. This is meant to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. And so when it is easy, you don't think it's right. I love it. Yeah. What can I do to make it harder so that I can feel like I'm being productive? 
Oh, that's so good. How often do we do that in our everyday lives? And even kids these days, if you think about it, and I know we're going to get to your personal story in a minute, which I know so many people are going to really feel from. Um, But if you think even back to high school, now kids are like in AP classes because if the regular work isn't enough, well, well, let's just ship them off to college soon. Let's just get them there even faster. Let's excel, 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 excel. Instead of why not just feel good in knowing what you're supposed to know at the age development that you're supposed to be at. Um, Uh Whole nother topic we could chime into, but what kinds of things did you struggle with? Growing up or? Sure. Yeah. I know that you were talking a little bit earlier to me about just, you were kind of like, quote unquote, the normal kid um, Uh on the outside. Can you talk a little bit about being normal on the outside, but feeling lacking on the inside? Yeah. So I grew up very normal, and I guess my normal is not everyone else's normal, but I would say I grew up pretty privileged. Mm-hmm. I lived in, you know, a nice area in California. I went to private school all the way up until I hit college, and from the outside looking in, I would say that anyone would think that I had a very nice, easygoing, privileged life. My parents never made me feel like I was lacking, like I ever had to really fight for something I wanted or that I couldn't get something I wanted. And I wasn't very aware of this. I was very aware that I had a really decent life and that I was given, you know, a good set of like cards, whatever that term is, to deal with. And also at the same time, I just felt very dark all the time very Mm. sad and it was it was like a lingering sadness and I never knew why I felt the way I did and why I just felt like things weren't enough for me like I wanted I kept wanting more and I was never satisfied and I just it was just weird to me that I was even feeling this way because I felt that I wasn't allowed to feel this way right I wasn't allowed to feel like I was sad or that things weren't okay because I knew that, you know, I didn't grow up being abused. I didn't grow up experiencing any sort of major, major trauma. And yet I was so miserable. Yeah. And I know that, you know, you have those thoughts of why am I such a negative person? I don't want to be this way, but I feel inside my soul that I'm a negative person. Did anybody, did your friends ever tell you that you were a negative person or did you just assume because of how you felt inside that that's how it was? Nobody outright ever told me I was a negative person. My parents would say that I complained a lot and that I would lose my temper and get angry a lot, but nobody ever said I was a negative person and it was honestly just this way that I perceived myself like because I had these feelings I must be a negative person Mm. and me telling myself this I latched onto that identity of a negative person and even if on the outside it might not have seemed that way I just felt like I was this negative person and so I perpetuated the cycle of just feeling more and more miserable Like really identifying with that side of yourself of, well, if I, I guess if I'm a negative person, then I'll just, then I'll just live in that. I'll just express that or show up as that version of myself because I don't, I don't know what it is any other way. Yeah. And you know what this just reminded me of? So for those of you listening who had a MySpace growing up, MySpace used to have these like little quizzes that you can take. 
And I remember on one of them, I was doing it with a friend and it, it asks you to, how would you label yourself? And I think one of the options was like, I'm a really positive, happy, upbeat person. And then the other one was, I constantly feel sad and depressed and emo. And I picked that one and my friend picked the other. Mm. And I was like, why? Right. You guys are both friends. Why are you feeling like one way? And she's feeling completely opposite. And also, I know that you asked yourself in your head, Am I making this up? Am I making all these feelings up? Yeah, and that was that was a question I've held on to for years because, again, I knew that I grew up well. I had friends. I had a family that loved me. I, you know, had food on the table. I had a nice home, but I was still struggling. And so I thought, you know, either there's something just, like, drastically wrong with me or I'm just making this stuff up because I'm a lover of drama. Like, I felt almost like I was creating drama in my life just to have it but Mm. at the same time I also knew like I'm I'm feeling this and I can't get out of it Mm. so am I making this up am I just like creating this for myself am I that fucked up right right you know I read a quote this morning and it's really ironic that it, it literally popped up on my Facebook feed this morning um from my sister and it said talking about our problems is our greatest addiction break the habit talk about joy so it's really interesting. I, th- I think, like, on the surface level, that sounds great, right? Okay, just quick talk, quit talking about the shit and start talking about all the happy things. But it doesn't necessarily work like that. And and from, from our experience, I know in going through our own personal growth transformations, it's because so often those things exist in our minds. The struggle and sometimes the thoughts of joy exist in our mind but the healing comes when we're able to lead from the body when we tell our brain to be quiet and get into our body but I know that as a person as as a as a human going through high school and even through college which we'll talk about in just a minute um we're taught to lead with our minds we're taught to use our brains to solve all the problems in our homework and everything and homework isn't filled with emotions we're not taught in in high school and college there should be a class on how to move through your emotions because it's the only center that allows us to fully heal and allow our bodies which are the holder of all truth to guide the mind and right now majority of 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 humans are addicted to struggle because we allow the mind to lead instead of the body. Would you agree? 100%. Yeah. Tell, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about, I know that you were going through some tough stuff in, in high school, if you want to dip into that, but then also how you purposely chose college, the college that you chose and some of the habits that you found yourself going into actually get into your body? Because I think people are going to understand what that means. Yeah, of course. So in high school, I I always thought that I was lacking. And that's really where my insecurities were created, I would say. I was always comparing myself to the people around me, wondering, you know, why I wasn't as tall as that girl or as skinny as that girl or as pretty as that girl. Why wasn't I smarter? why this, why that, always comparing. And, you know, looking back, I can see that all of these insecurities, I would project so hard onto other people. And the way that I coped was I purposefully would try to bring other people down. Mm. I was that girl. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, I would do what I could to make myself seem better just so that I could, on, like, for a split second, feel good about myself. Yeah. And I was aware 
at some point within high school, I was aware of these behaviors that I had. And I so badly wanted to be a different person. I wanted to transform, to have a different life. And so I chose a college that nobody in my school was going to. I moved out of state. And I thought, okay, so in college, I have this opportunity to totally reinvent myself, to become the woman that I want to be. That kind of backfired because by going to a school that was far away from home where I didn't know anybody, I was just lost beyond belief. So lost. Like I had no one to go to. I didn't even have like distant relatives in the area. I just felt like I was completely on my own for the first time. And instead of feeling empowered like I wanted to, I created this bubble around me because I was just so scared and so sad. Isn't it interesting how we try to run away from what is ailing us? Like literally try, just try to distance and get as far away because when I change my environment and my situation, then it, I can blame it on that. I can put the struggle in that area and position it as, well, that was just high school. I can label it as high school sucks. I can label it as, you know, or whatever it is. And I can tell you, I I, I just got to share with you. We all do that. We all do this. I just got to share with you too. I actually was the opposite. I grew up in college, um, kind of the peppy girl. And and that was my nature. I always went towards things are good. Things are going to work out. Everything is going to be just fine. We need to love our lives. Like I I genuinely felt that in my body. And I, I, I got called fake a lot because people are like, there is no way that a person actually exists like this right and it was very painful to be called fake but in the sense I did the same thing that you did because I had the opportunity to pretty much go to any college that I applied to and all my friends were going to these two schools all my best friends were specifically going to this one I had them in a FOMO and then I went no because I've been feeling like I've been living in the shadows of my prettier, more skinnier, um, more popular. And these girls were my best friends, right? So they didn't they didn't treat me like crap, but they ran in several circles that I didn't feel welcome in. And so I was like, I'm just going to get rid of that, all that stuff. I can, because I can still have my friends, right? I can still have my friendships, but I don't want to have the circle with them always being at the forefront I just want to run away and try to find another circle where I can be at the forefront, where I can shine, where I can thrive, where I can still be the best version of myself. And so I ran too. But what we don't realize that we're doing is we carry our entire being, our entire personality, our entire belief system, our entire energetics, everything that exists in us. We are all of it. And we just bring that to a new environment. So yeah. it, it looks a little bit different and it starts to, we, we get, tri- we, we trick our minds and go, see, I'm somewhere else. It's a little bit different. So I can, now I can do whatever I want. But the reality is, is our feelings and our emotions that have built us from the time we were babies is still there. So it's no wonder yeah. that you woke up in a completely new setting feeling absolutely lost because now the little bit of struggle that was keeping you comfortable, because at least you could bitch about it and you were like, well, but I'm here and everybody <laughs> yeah. knows me as this this person. You were comfortable there. Now you're in this new environment and you're like, whoa, still the same girl, different space, right? Yeah, completely. And, you know, going back to just going to what's familiar the way I coped was exactly the same. Mm. So I started doing the same thing where I would meet people and then I would 
try to find something in someone else that we could collectively bitch about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The difference in college, and I think this was like put into my life on purpose, is the people that I was around my freshman year of college would not stand for the shit I was doing. Mm. They were not into it. It hurt me because I kept thinking, okay, so I'm the bad person here. Because I was pretty much called out for my behavior. And in this instance, you couldn't be accepted for it. Whereas in high school, you had people that would accept you and would, you know, bitch and complain with you, who would sit in the struggle with you, who would be victims with you, who would gossip with you. It's that whole saying of misery loves company. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for other people to be miserable with mm-hmm. but in that time nobody wanted to be miserable with me for good reason right mm-hmm. but I it just made me feel even more lost because that one shred of familiarity that I had was taken away from me so what did you do um when did you hit rock bottom talk a little bit about the rock bottom moments and kind of how within that rock bottom moment You were able to begin to recognize what you needed to do to shift and change out of this. So my quote-unquote struggle went on throughout college. And I would say that the distraction of college itself, of classes and studying and all of that, was able to just really distract me from everything I was feeling and made it okay that I was struggling, you know? It it helped me cope with all of the internal mess that was going on so that I didn't have to look at it straight on Mm -hmm. after college. That's when I really had to, had to start taking responsibility for my actions because at that point, you know, up until then my life was pretty much scheduled for me. Mm -hmm. I was told to go to school and then I had classes and I had these things to do that was just told to me. Whereas after college, that's when you really start formulating this life of your own. You have to be the one who goes out and finds that job and gets that interview and, you know, all of that. And in that process where I really had to start being responsible for myself and my actions, it went really downhill because I was just so aware of the things that I was doing, but I didn't have the proper tools to help me. Yes. And so I was still doing the same thing where I would cope by shitting on other people, by blaming everything on everyone else. And on top of, you know, just shitting on other people, I regularly started drinking every weekend to the point where I would black out. Mm -hmm. And I would black out every weekend. Mm-hmm. And I wanted other people to join in that misery with me. I spent so much money buying shots for other people to the point where I was labeled shot queen. Wow. Yeah. And at the same time, because I knew I was just so unhappy with myself, the only way that I would let myself emotionally release was by drinking. Because after every blackout, I would always end up crying. Mm. And I knew that going into the drinking, so like, let's say it was Friday, right? Every Friday, I would know, okay, tonight I get to cry and I have to drink to get there because I didn't know how else to release that. This is so key, you guys, listening up, is we're about to dive into this transition mode, but crying is one of the best things that you can do for your body, and so often we block ourselves from tears. Tears are truth, by the way, but we block ourselves from feeling the emotions um, to the point of tears because we've been taught for the majority of our lives, don't cry, don't cry. Even when you get like a 
boo-boo on your knee when you're a little kid, what's the first thing your your parents do? They coddle you up and they say, it's okay, don't cry. So from the get-go, we're taught, don't release your emotions. But yet when we do this process, and you guys know what it feels like when you have a really dang good cry, it's that. It's this sigh of relief. So I can totally understand that you associating being blackout drunk with an emotional release became your go-to scenario for getting into your body. Mm-hmm. 100%. It was, it was really the only time I allowed myself to cry because I did not let myself cry in front of other people. Mm-hmm. That kind of goes back to just things I was taught in childhood by my parents. I didn't feel like it was t- safe to cry or to really emote strongly. But I just had this, you know, this bad strategy of drinking in order to get that emotional release out. Yeah, and I mean, you're lucky that you got, in a way, quote-unquote lucky, right? Follow me on this one. <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that you received the gift of tears and emotionality out of drinking because so many people listening can resonate with the fact that you drink to numb out, to get drunk so you don't have to feel anything. And you hope that you wake up and you don't remember anything and you don't feel anything. Because the goal of overconsumption in any capacity is literally to block the sense of emotions, to block feelings from coming through because we don't think that we can handle pain. We don't think that it is, um, it's possible to break through and have this sense of lightness. We just think that we need to shove it down and allow it to go away. And the truth is, unless we do have a way to release the emotionality, process through, we don't even have to understand why. I think people get confused and lost in the highs and uh, hows and whys. We don't have to understand why necessarily. We just have to allow ourselves to feel through it. So I love that you actually sought out tears through through your bad habits. At least you were getting yeah, something out of it. It's interesting that you say that because I, I'm reflecting back on that time now. And I would say my intent wasn't actually to numb out. It was because I was so numb in my day-to-day life that drinking is what allowed me to lower my inhibitions about what I assumed other people's judgments were about me. That when I drank and other people saw me drinking, I could act in whichever way I wanted, and I could just blame it on the alcohol. Yeah, it's that blame mentality. What can I blame What can I blame, blame the struggle on? I love that you say yeah. that, and I want to be very clear to our listeners. We're not condoning alcoholism or drinking oh, no. in mass amounts. We're not it's condoning life. that. Let's move into the piece of now you understand you're crying. You mentioned a little bit um, to me that you were journaling, and then tell the listeners a little bit about rereading some of your old journals and how you had this big breakthrough. Yeah, so on some occasions after my drunk cries, I would take out my journal and just start writing. And there was this one night where it was just particularly bad, and I wrote down some things. I read it the next morning, and I actually found the same journal entry a couple of years ago, and it just hurt my heart to see and to like refeel really how much pain I was in mm-hmm. and I just had I wrote this it was a very long scribbly journal journal entry where I was just saying if this is how life is if life is just meant to be this miserable there's 
I don't see the point of it. Mm -hmm. I don't see the point of living anymore. I don't see the point of life if this is just what life is. Yeah. And a couple of other things I had written down was, like, it was a letter to the universe because at that time I did do some reading and stuff on self-help and law of attraction and the universe. So I was kind of doing this, like, you know, last effort thing of universe. If this is how life is meant to be, then don't make, don't let me wake up tomorrow because I don't want to live it anymore. Yeah. I don't want to feel this anymore. Not like this. Yeah. And for the most part, the next day, I just kind of ignored that because my feelings, again, were numbed out without the effects of alcohol. But I would say maybe a couple of months or so after that, I was in a situation where I was with some friends and one of my friends said something jokingly to me that was, it was like an insult, but meant as a joke. But because my, I was just like wounded in so many ways, I was so beyond insecure and had so much self-loathing that that one tiny, barely insult broke me. Mm. And I just, and I was on vacation at this time. I just started crying And I spent that whole night in the bathroom just, like, sobbing and with awareness that what was told to me was a joke and it wasn't a big deal. Because I had the awareness that if this was told to me, if I was in a different mindset, it wouldn't affect me at all. Mm -hmm. That's how how insignificant of a quote-unquote insult that it was, but it just hurt me so bad. And at that point, I was like, it's either this life is not worth living anymore or I have actually got to take action and get myself out of this hole that I dug. And that was, that was my turning point. I love that you decided to do the thing that we all are glad that you did, which is take action, right? That we have to find ways to support ourselves. Like we talked about earlier, this is the emotionality is not something that a lot of people that, that a lot of people are taught. It's something that many of us get to the point in our lives and it shows up in different forms of, you know, running on autopilot, not feeling worthy enough. Like the struggle can be very subtle or it can come on really strong like it had in your case that just like kept continuing on, continuing on. And because you were really good at masking it and not moving through it, nobody probably really knew how how deep the pain was. And so I love that you were able to find ways that shifted you over the course of the last couple of years into this new space where now you're helping other men and women cope with their emotions so they don't have to stay stuck. I think you said um, earlier to me, you don't have to stay stuck as long. Yours took a lot longer, but if we can reach people now and let them know that there are people and things that we can do to move ourselves through our emotionality, we don't have to stay stuck in this struggle bus victim mentality the way that you did. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you did um, and what you're doing now to get you out of that mi- out of your mind and into your body? Yeah, definitely. So the first thing I did, my first action step, and it was that very night that I was still crying in the bathroom. I checked out my, my phone, I went on Yelp, and I looked up a holistic nutritionist. Wow. Yeah, I still thought everything was external, you know, I was like, okay, it's still my body that I need to fix. And once I fix my body, I would feel better. Right. But no matter what it was, at least I took a step. Right. I did it that night. I booked my appointment and then I saw my nutritionist for a good seven months. Yes, I'm so grateful for the nutritionist that I worked with because she really saw everything on a very holistic level and 
I would say maybe three months in out of the seven months that I was working with her, it shifted away from thinking about or working through what I was eating and the food portion of it all. And she started working with me on my mindset. Mm. And not only did we work on mindset, she started having me read some spiritual texts, um, my like just other mindfulness resources that I could access. And one of the things I just remember that she had me read was Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. And after, after a while of working with her, I realized, and it did take me a while to realize that we weren't talking about food anymore. Yes. It completely shifted to other aspects of my life. Absolutely. There's, oh, I'm so glad that you brought this up because there's so many people who, and myself included, who have spent decades blaming and shaming food and their bodies for the issues that are actually popping up internally in our minds. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. so important that we get the support that we need to know that we're, first of all, we're not alone in this journey. There's hundreds of thousands of people who just aren't saying the way that you did. You weren't speaking up and saying, hey, anybody else feeling like this? Any, is this normal? <laughs> is this okay? And we just need to find the tools and resources that help support us to lift us out of the space of struggle and into the lightness that we choose and desire for our lives. Absolutely. And what you said is so true. I genuinely feel that my journey, while perfect in its own way, could have been expedited if I was more open about my struggles from the start because I hit it for so long and I just didn't think that it was okay for me to struggle in the way I did because I felt that I grew up so normally, you know, so, so carefree and just very privileged that I wasn't okay to feel the way I did. But if I felt that I could actually open up about what I was feeling and gotten help earlier on. My trajectory might have been different and it might have been faster and easier. So I don't think that, you know, anyone else's journey has to necessarily take as long as it did for me. Absolutely. But I do think I was put through this for a reason. Oh, everybody. I mean, everything happens for a reason, in my personal opinion. I know that all of the pains come with all of the gains that I have experienced in my life. Can you talk a little bit about, um, after the nutritionist, I'm sure you went through, after you had this big awakening of, whoa, there's so much that I get to do on the inside. I get to stop obsessing over all the external things that support me. What are some of the internal practices that you've adopted over the last couple of years that are your favorite things for helping people shift out of this addiction to struggle into this newfound safety and environment that you've created for yourself? Yeah, that's a good one. So for someone who is fairly new to doing the inner work, I would say that the best thing to start off with is journaling. Mm -hmm. The first thing, so after, after I stopped working with my nutritionist, I hired a life coach. Yeah. And what she led me through was really identifying and getting clear on what it was that I wanted that I felt like I didn't have. And she gave me this assignment where I wrote down everything I wanted without judgment. So it was, you know, don't even think about what others might think. Don't think about whether or not you assume it's attainable or not just write down everything your heart desires just so you know and just so you're okay with your own desires and that one exercise just gave me so much clarity 
on why I felt like I was struggling because I had all these desires and I felt like I couldn't get them or that, you know, it was just out of reach, things like that. And so I think journaling and really dumping all of your thoughts onto paper is such an incredible first step because it both lets you see your quote unquote negative thoughts and puts them into perspective because once they're on paper, you can see them for what they are instead of like, Oh, this is like my struggle, you know, from those thoughts. And then you can see like, okay, that's, that's not true. I heard somebody say this the other day too. And I love that you said it in the written form of distancing yourself from your thoughts, but also people can do this after I I encourage my clients after it's written to vocalize it because that's the next level. And sometimes it's hard to do that, but it's just another form of distancing. And when we say our fears, when we say um, the things that feel so truth, feel so true to us in our minds, but they aren't, when we speak it out loud, um, this is why talking to friends is so good, but why, why talking to a coach is even better because they can give you strategies to move through. Um, but why, when we say things out loud, we're like, oh, I don't really actually feel like that or mean that. But sometimes it doesn't feel as safe to vocalize. So the first idea of journaling, and I know that our coach, she um, she says that she does a dump every morning. Like, not not the physical dump, probably that too. But... <laughs> That's good too, though. <laughs> but a journal dump where pops out of bed does some breath work, and then just write down everything that's been stuck in your brain overnight. Because a lot of times we don't even know. We don't know what we've dreamt about. We don't know what we've hung on to since um, the last day. And to just be able to drop down everything that is in our brains, that allows it to just be out of that space. Be out of that space so we can clear it and find clarity and find calmness. Um, because often the chaos just lives in our mindset. So that's a, an incredible strategy. And it's so simple that it's something that people take for granted. Yeah, definitely. It's going into it, if you are not someone who actively does personal development work, it, you do feel resistance. And that resistance simply just comes from you doing something good for yourself and your ego freaking out. Because knowing that you're making this shift in your life means that something's going to change. And your ego holds on to familiarity. It holds on to, even if that familiarity isn't for your, like, the goodness of you, it holds on to it because it's safe. It knows how to handle that. So when you do anything to bring it out of that and to shift it, it's going to freak out and do everything it can to protect you, quote-unquote protect you from going into that next level. Ooh, that is so real. awareness of that means that you can be like, okay, I know exactly what's happening here, but I'm going to do this next thing anyway, because I'm telling you, I'm telling myself right now, it's safe for me to get to this next level. Absolutely. It's safe for me to have feelings. It's safe for me to have emotions. It's safe for me to express myself. It's safe for me to be a different version of myself inside my body. Yeah, exactly. Oh, this is so good. I just, I'm, I'm so grateful that you were willing to come on and share your vulner so vulnerably because I know that a lot of times people don't like to talk about the, the messiness, the deepness, the darkness, and I know that by you sharing the hope and possibility of transforming and transitioning into a new space that so many people are going to recognize that that's available to them. Okay, so Melody... How can people get more of you? This is so good. How can people get more of you? Where can they find you? And what are you up to these days? 
Sure. So you guys can find me at Honor Your Body on Instagram. I also have a podcast, the Honor Your Body podcast, both on iTunes and on Spotify and my website, MelodyChuang.com. And I am launching my one-on-one coaching program starting in January. So if this is something you're interested in, absolutely get in touch. But if not, I'm very active on Instagram. And if you ever want to shoot me a DM there, you're more than free to. Perfect. We're going to put all of those juicy details in the show notes so people can go back and click through and find you really, really easily. But you guys definitely continue to tap into Melody and all her genius. I just have two closing questions that I didn't prepare you for, but I promise they're not that scary. Um, So if you can humor me, the questions that I ask everybody on every podcast episode is, what do you love most about yourself? Oh, so fun. Okay. (laughs) Let's see. I really like my, what is that word? Driven. I'm a very, very driven person. Yes. You are extremely uh, determined. Definitely determined person. I know um, she's a power lifter too, you guys. She does it all. That I am, yeah. (laughs) Extremely determined. That's a great word. So perfect. And then what does joy feel like in your body? Ooh, another good one. Let's see. It feels like an expansion in my chest. And in a very literal sense, it it quite literally feels like my chest area is spreading and opening. And I just feel this warmth in my heart space that kind of trickles down into my stomach area. I love people describing joy so much because I feel it. I feel it feel that expansion Uh. when you describe it it's so warm and so good so thank you so much for being on the podcast today thank you for sharing all the shares and allowing us to know that feeling truly is the healing of course Heidi thank you for having me this is so much fun I appreciate you so much and we'll talk to you soon of course take care Thanks so much for tuning in. If you love what you heard, please take a quick second to screenshot this episode and share it with someone that you know would love it. Connecting with you brings sunshine to my soul. So let's continue the conversation on Instagram at joyfullybe. Drop me a message, question, or share your own junk to joy story with me. Remember that joy is contagious. You can help me spread it by leaving a little buzz, aka a review, on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about Cup of Joy, the podcast, and my soulful services, visit cupofjoythepodcast.com. Chat soon.